Galatians, the sixth chapter. Galatians 6, focusing on the ninth and the tenth verse. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Do you know what time the sun came up this morning? I looked because I just, I thought it's never going to come up today. 7.59. 7.59 is the official sunrise right now. It just seems like it's taking forever and ever for that thing to get up. But aren't you glad it did? And aren't you glad we can be here today? Uh, it is a good day. It's good to see everyone here. And uh, we've got some who are visiting with us, some who have been away from us, now more who have gone away from us. And so please do continue to keep all of these in prayer. I want to say to our young, uh, young kids and their parents, grandparents, it's Bible Bowl Sunday. And I know that we have some who are away from us, uh, but we are excited always about Bible Bowl Sunday. Appreciate our young people and the effort that they put into uh, to the Bible Bowl. And I want to say that if, if you have not signed up, uh, come anyway. We want you to be here. All of our young kids, we want as many here as possible. Uh, maybe you've not had opportunity to study that as much. I think we'll be very surprised at what they can pick up uh, in class. And so please, uh, all of our young people, we want you to be here. We want you to participate. And again, as adults, if you'd like to be here and help out with the Bible Bowl, you're welcome. We're going to start about 3.30 this afternoon. And if you can't make it at 3.30, Try to be here around 4.30 or so. Uh, that's when we'll hand out trophies and medals and reward uh, our young people for their hard work. And so if you can be here and encourage them in that time, uh, just be here a little early tonight and we'll, uh, we'll start that about 4.30. Uh, but looking forward to the Bible Bowl, always excited about it. And so if you can be here and be a part of it, uh, please do. As was mentioned in our prayer by Brother Carl, uh, Mike and Cherie find themselves today in West Virginia. So that means since most of us have seen him, uh, Brother Mike, he's been in Austin, Denver, Little Rock, West Plains, Missouri, back to Midland for a night uh, this last Thursday, and then Friday he and Sharif flew, and now are in West Virginia. And so uh, again, appreciate Brother Mike and his wonderful work, and Sharif now being with him, uh, doing some teaching herself. And so uh, again, please do continue to keep them in prayer. Uh, Lord willing, they will be home, I believe the first part of this week and uh, should be back with us, again, Lord willing, a week from today. And so uh, please continue to keep them in prayer for the wonderful work that they do. Brother Mike has done so many wonderful things and good things for me. Um, one of the things that stands out in our studies together, we will occasionally sit down and we'll pour ourselves over a passage of Scripture, and he will say, all right, Adam, now take this, this section of Scripture, or take these verses, and just summarize it. Summarize it into one sentence. And when you do, make sure that it's a sentence that you could take to Evan or Alan for them to understand. So he said, take this, this whole passage, condense it into one sentence, and make it easy enough for a young person to comprehend. I think that's wonderful advice 
Because we want to take the Word of God and we want to make sure that we don't overcomplicate it or say it above where people can comprehend or understand what it's saying. We want to make it simple. I want to do that this morning, beginning in Acts chapter 13. We're going to look at some in the life of David today. And I want to begin in Acts chapter 13 because what we find in Acts chapter 13 is God and His view of David as told, though, through Paul. In Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas find themselves in the city of Antioch of Pisidia. And as was their custom, they would go into the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 13 that they went into the synagogue and they sat down and the scriptures were opened and a word from the prophets was read. And then the rulers of the synagogue turned to Paul and Barnabas and say, Hey, do you men have anything you'd like to say? Well, never missing an opportunity, Paul would speak. And that's what we find in Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse number 16. Paul stood up, and motioning with his hand, he said, Men of Israel, and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt, and with an uplifted arm he brought them out of it. And for a time of about forty years he put up with their ways in the wilderness, And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land to them by allotment. And after that, he gave them judges for about 450 years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they asked for a king. So God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up for them David as king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. From this man's seed, according to the promise, God raised up for Israel a Savior, Jesus. And so Paul is going to start with David and use David then as a springboard to get to Jesus. Now, drop down, there's more that can be read, but drop down now to the end of what he has to say in verse number 36. He says, For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell asleep and was buried with his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised up, speaking of Jesus, of course, he saw no corruption. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, Jesus, is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of Moses." And so Paul, again, would use David as a springboard to get to Jesus. And he would say, David did all of these great things. David was king over God's people after Saul. And yet we find in David one who would obey God. He would do all of God's will. He would follow my heart. But ultimately, he used David to get to Jesus. David was great, but there was one who was so much greater. And that is Jesus. Jesus came to do the whole will of God. We've discussed that in the past. He came to offer Himself, and Paul says that through Him we find the forgiveness of sins. I want to talk about David for just a moment today. And I want you to think about a a great event. I think really a highlight in the life of David from 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now, you and I, if we've lived any length of time at all, would love to go back in time and undo some of the things we have done. I would love to go back 
knowing what I know now, go back to myself as a younger man and say, Adam, don't do that. Adam, do not do that. Don't make that mistake. Do not give yourself into that temptation. Do not commit that sin. And don't you know that David felt the same? Don't you know that he wished he could go back and just erase from his life some of the events in 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12? Don't you know that those chapters containing uh, adultery, containing murder, containing lying, and all these uh, greed and covetousness and a host of sin, don't you know that David wished he could go back in time and undo what he had done? David, don't do it. Don't give in to that temptation. But that's a part of his life, isn't it? You're not able to erase those things. You're not able to go back and change. You're not able to undo. And in fact... Uh, now on this side of things and, and knowing that we're still not perfect and, and years from now, perhaps we'll look back and say, boy, I wish I could go back again and, and undo. But all of those things can get us to a certain point. Whatever we've done has now got us to the point that we are today. This is where we find ourselves. I can't change. I can't undo. I, I can't go back. So here I am today. And what am I going to do with today? I want you to think with me about 2 Samuel chapter 9. And what I've told you, I believe, to be one of the great chapters that highlight why God would call David a man after his own heart. I think it is the heart of David that really is brought out so well in 2 Samuel chapter 9. It's 13 verses, and I just want to read it. We're here to study, right? Let's just read it. 2 Samuel chapter 9. Now David said... Is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. And so when they had called him to David, the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, At your service. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, There's still a son of Jonathan who's lame in his feet. So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, in Lodabar. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. And so David said to him, Do not fear. For I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan, your father's sake, and will restore to you all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. And he bowed himself, and he said, What is your servant, that you should look upon such a dead dog as I? And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. And now Ziba had fifteen sons and twenty servants. And Ziba said to the king, According to all that my lord the king has commanded his servant, so will your servant do. As for Mephibosheth, said the king, he shall eat at my table like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah, and all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both of his feet. 
It's a highlight. It truly is in the life of David. You're going to see a low light coming up very shortly in his life. But this is a highlight. And I think there is much for us to glean. But I'm going to break it down into three short and simple statements for us to comprehend today. As we think about this chapter and what we can learn about God and what we can learn from David and this highlight in his life, three very simple things for us to understand. Number one, we need to be looking for opportunities, don't we? Opportunities to do good. I think it is so telling there in 2 Samuel chapter 9 and verse 1 that David says, Is there anyone who is left in the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? This opportunity wasn't presented to David. Someone didn't come and say, Hey, do you think you should do something nice for Jonathan? Do you think you should do some good today? This was something that David had in his heart, and he said, I want to seek the opportunity to do something good. Sometimes we can be really good at waiting for an opportunity to happen, but not so good at making it happen. We can be those who are observant, and when when a need arises, we can say, okay, yeah, I can do good, I can help, because we're trying to be good people, and we're trying to be like Jesus when we need to be sometimes more active in seeking to do good. David and Jonathan, he said, I want to do good for Jonathan's sake. It's an amazing friendship. I suppose you can't find a better friendship anywhere in the pages of the Bible than you do in David and Jonathan. And so when he says this, we understand that there is a connection. Jonathan has died, and he's still on David's mind. And David is thinking about his buddy Jonathan, and he's saying, I want to do something to, uh, to help his family. I want to do something, ultimately, for Jonathan. I want you to go back with me to 1 Samuel chapter 14. You know, if you were to begin looking at highlights in the life of David, I suppose the very first highlight you might come to would be 1 Samuel chapter 17, right? This is when a young shepherd boy takes on a giant by the name of Goliath. And you would say, wow, that would definitely be a highlight because he ended up slaying the giant with a stone and a slingshot and then cutting off the giant's head with the giant's own sword. He slew the giant. What a highlight in the life of David. Why did David do that? What's What's the scene? Well, David got to the to where this fight was, this battle was taking place and the giant was, was defying the army of God and, and David said, God can help me do this. Well, I see that in Jonathan. We see it in 1 Samuel chapter 14. Look at verse number 6. Jonathan fought the Philistines. Did you know this? Remember this? Jonathan fought the Philistine before David did. In 1 Samuel 14, the Bible says in verse 6, Jonathan said to the young man who bore his armor, Come and let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. And it may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord from saving by many or by few. You see the faith of Jonathan? Look at verse number 12. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you... We will show you something. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into the hand of Israel. I wonder why David and Jonathan were such good friends. They knew the power of God, didn't they? It was their faith in God that made them so close. You you and I, we're on this side of history. We know the rest of the story. 
And we know that, that Saul, Jonathan's father, would, in the very next chapter, 1 Samuel 15, that Saul would disobey God and God would say, I'm going to take the kingdom from you. And then in the very next chapter, 1 Samuel chapter 16, David is anointed as the next king. And then in chapter 17, David slays the giant. And now the women are crying that Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And now the kingdom is going to be stripped from Saul and given to David. And then you go all the way to, to, to Paul in Acts chapter 13, and recounting the history of Israel... Paul makes it known again that through the line of David, Jesus the Savior was going to come, not the line of Saul. Boy, I just don't praise Jonathan enough for who he is, who he was, for the faith that he had in God. That when that kingdom was stripped from his father, there was never an ounce of jealousy in his best friend David. He understood that this is the way God said it was going to be, and he loved God more than he loved anyone else. David knew it. He was never jealous of his friend. David, that's my throne. David, that's my seat. David, this is my family. David, that throne has to stay with us. Never was it there. Never is an ounce of jealousy found between Jonathan and And David, wouldn't it be wonderful if we as God's people today could function that way? Where we wouldn't ever have an ounce of jealousy. Where you find that David and Jonathan, they always understood that they were tugging on the same end of the rope, so to speak. They knew that they had enemies and those that were against them, but they were fighting. They were pulling on the same end of the rope. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we as God's people today understood that we're all trying to pull on the same end of the rope. That I'm not against you, and you're not against me. That we're in this together. That there are going to be difficulties that arise in life, and the devil's going to be active, and he's going to try to come after us. But at the end of the day, you and I, we're for each other because we're for God. We're tugging on the same end of the rope. For Jonathan's sake, David says, I want to do good. I want to do something for his family. I want to show kindness to Jonathan. But he doesn't say that first. What you find in verse number 1 is David says, Is there still anyone who is left in the house of Saul? He doesn't say Jonathan first. It's for Jonathan's sake. But is there anyone in the house of Saul? Now, David and Jonathan were tight-knit. Their souls, the Bible says, were knit together. They knew that they were always pulling on the same end of the rope. But that was not true, was it, with David and Saul? They were enemies. Saul tried on multiple occasions to kill David. They were enemies against each other. And yet David says, I want to do something good for the house of Saul. I want to do something good for him... And what you find a little bit later is in verse number 3, he says, I want to show kindness ultimately to God. In showing kindness to Saul, David understood this is showing kindness to God. So I will look above the enemy. I will look above whatever turmoil there might be in our lives And I will ultimately understand that what I'm trying to do, what I'm trying to do good for, and the one I'm trying to do good for is God. 
That, that just brings about a different outlook in life, doesn't it? I'm not really looking at the face of what I'm doing good for. I'm really going above that. I'm ultimately wanting to do good for God. And so the question I want to ask you today is I ask myself, am I waiting for opportunity to do good or am I seeking opportunity to do good? I appreciate Brother Jim reading Galatians chapter 6 and verse 10. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially those of the household of faith. But the thrust that Paul brings in that verse really is seek to do good. Seek opportunity to do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. Turn in your Bibles to the New Testament. We'll come back to 2 Samuel 9 in just a moment. But here's Jesus, and here's what He has to say on the matter. And this is final, and this is good for us to be reminded of. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus has these words. Beginning in verse 43, Jesus says, You've heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. And pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Doesn't that sound what, what we want? For He makes His Son to rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore you shall be perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And then He says, Take heed that you do not do your charitable deeds before men to be seen by them. Otherwise, you have no reward from your Father in heaven. Therefore, when you do a charitable deed, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory from men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But when you do a charitable deed, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, that your charitable deed may be in secret, and the Father who sees in secret will himself reward you openly." Let us strive to be children of the Father. Let us strive to follow the example of Jesus and follow His teachings. Jesus says, you love those who hate you. You do good to those who persecute you. You actively engage yourself in doing good to those who are around you because ultimately showing kindness to them rises above them and goes to show kindness to God. I'm telling you this isn't easy, is it? You and I, we understand in the world that we live in, when people are against us and they say mean things and they do bad things to us, that our our first reaction is to retaliate. And that's what we're being told not to do. When you do a charitable deed, when you do good, Jesus says you better have the right motivation behind it. You're striving to be kind to God. You're striving to do what God wants you to do. And so when you do something good for others... Just know that God's watching and be content with that. Don't sound the trumpet. Don't let everybody know, look at me and look what I have done. Just know that God sees and He will reward you. So I'm asking you the question honestly today, am I seeking opportunities or am I just waiting for those opportunities to arise? I know that you're doing good. I'm trying to do good. We're trying to be good people and we're trying to do good for others. What's the motivation behind it? And are we really actively seeking opportunities to do good? Important questions to ask. And that's what we find here in this context. Number two, seek someone 
to do good for who has no way of repaying you. I think it is really telling that in this chapter, and you've looked at this chapter, and so have I in the past, in 2 Samuel chapter 9, I think it's so telling that when, when David asked the question, is there anybody left from the house of Saul, uh, somebody you know, for Jonathan's sake that I can show kindness to, someone for the sake of God, he hears and he's told right away, there is a son that Jonathan has, his name is Mephibosheth, and he's lame in his feet. Oh, no, can you get me someone who's not handicapped? I really don't want anybody who's handicapped. That's going to take a little too much effort. I don't, want, I don't want anybody lame in their feet. Is there anybody else? He doesn't say that at all. Do you see any hesitation in the, in the text? In David's mind, when he hears that there is one, there's a son of Jonathan who's left. His name is Mephibosheth, and he's lame in his feet. There is no hesitation from David. Bring him here. That's the guy I want. I know, you know, it's not going to be easy. He's, uh, you know, he's got this uh, handicap and, and it's not going to be as, as convenient, you know, for maybe him to be here. But you don't get any sense of that. I want him here. I want to show kindness. This is exactly what I'm going to do. And from Mephibosheth, say that five times fast. From Mephibosheth, he understands I have no way of repaying you. I have no way of doing anything for you. When David asks his name, he says, yes, that's who I am. I'm your servant. That's the very first thing out of his mouth. I am your servant. And then you go over to verse number 8, and he calls himself a second time a servant in the house of David. And he says, I am nothing but a dead dog. (laughs) How much value is there in a dead dog? There's just not much value in a dead dog. A dead dog is, well, we can mourn over a dead dog. And, and uh, it's sad, isn't it? It's sad to lose those, those pets at times that we care about and we've grown so attached to. I don't know how that happens, but well, we know it's true. But for a working dog, a, a dog that you would use, a, a dog that was active and sheep herding or whatever it was back in those days, a dead dog has no value. And that's what Mephibosheth has to say about himself. I'm of no value to you. I don't have anything to bring to the table. I've done nothing for you. I can't do anything for you. And David says, you're going to eat at my table four times. Four times he says that. I'm not interested in what you can bring to me. I'm not interested in what you can do. I'm not in this for what you can give me. I understand that you can't ever repay me for what I'm about to do to you. But that's what I want to do. Let me do it. You want a fulfilling feeling? Do something good for somebody who has no way to repay you. That's a good thing. That will bring a good feeling. But sometimes, again, that's not what motivates us. Sometimes what motivates me is what's in it for me. What can they give me? What can I be provided? If I show them kindness, what are they going to do for me in return? There's not an ounce of that in this text. This is a man who is seeking after the heart of God. And we see the heart of God brought out right here. I'm just a servant. I'm nothing more than a dead dog. What we see in 2 Samuel chapter 9 ultimately is the heart of our Lord. 
I want you to think about him. In Luke chapter 14, I want you to think about what Jesus has to say. He's been invited to a feast. And the Bible says, beginning in verse number 12, that Jesus turns uh, to the one who had invited him to this feast. And he says to this man who invited him, When you give a dinner or a supper, do not ask your friends, your brothers, your relatives, nor rich neighbors, lest they also invite you back and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you shall be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now that doesn't mean that I can't do good things, or I can't invite family, or I can't invite people who might be able to repay me in some way. But again, Jesus is saying, don't be motivated by that. Be motivated by showing kindness ultimately because you love God. Don't be motivated by what man can give you. Be motivated by what God can give you. Jesus says, that lame, maimed, blind, they can't repay you. Just wait for your payment at the day of the resurrection of the just. Just wait to hear those words from God. Well done, good and faithful servant. Let that motivate you to do good. Let that motivate you to do good for those who have no way of repaying you. Consequently, we see this throughout the ministry of Jesus. For example, in the very next chapter in the book of Luke, in Luke chapter 15, you remember in Luke chapter 15, Jesus gives three great parables. The parable of the uh, lost coin, the lost sheep, and the lost son, the prodigal son. Those parables are all in Luke chapter 15, but what sets up those three parables is found in verses 1 and 2. Where the Bible says, then all of the tax collectors and the sinners, who? The tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. How dare he? Those are the people that were drawn to Jesus. I wonder if those are the people drawn to me. I wonder my outlook on life. If I'm looking to do good, I'm trying to do good. But am I seeking opportunities to do good, even for those who have no way of repaying me? I'm telling you, that's what Jesus' ministry was all about. See, another example over in John chapter 4, and reminded, he sat down in a well, next to a well in Samaria, and a woman came up to draw water. And in verse number 9, she's so shocked that he said anything to her, because she said to him, Don't you know that I'm a Samaritan and Jews have no dealings with Samaritans and I'm a woman? That's exactly who Jesus sat down by that well to talk to. That's who was drawn to Jesus and those are the ones that He spent His time with and those are the people that I want to spend my time with because ultimately from that conversation in Samaria in John chapter 4, a multitude of people would come to believe Him to be the Messiah. And I want to be motivated to reach out to those who are lost. I want to say this again. I'm just trying to plant seeds of thought in my mind and in yours. But as we think about this particular thought and my seeking to do good, to reach out to those who are lost, I want to be reminded again. It is not okay It is not okay with me, I hope it's not okay with you, that the congregation at Westside does not better represent the community in which we live. 
It's easy to reach out and speak to those who look like us. We need to be willing to look beyond that. To those who have a skin color that may not be ours, mine. Or speak a language that may not be quite the same as mine. I'm telling you, it is not okay that that we don't look a little more diverse. We need to think about these things. Jesus had people drawn to Him from every stage of life. And I I just would not want to stand before God and say, I can only do what I can do and you can only do what you can do. I understand that. But I would not want to look in the face of God and say, God, I didn't take the gospel to that person because they don't look like me. No. You do not want to stand before God and have anything like that on your record. I want to be willing to reach out to all men and we, we need to be willing to do that. And again, I'm not chastising. I'm just saying, I don't want to be okay with it. I don't want to be okay with it. I want to be doing everything I can to reach as many as I can, no matter what they look like. They have a soul, and I want to see their value. Don't you? you know, I know you do. Let's think about that. So, seek opportunities to do good. That's what we find David do it in 2 Samuel 9. And we find him choosing an undesirable to do good for. I want to be willing to do the same. And here's the final point, and you understand it. It's very well taken. It's not hard to see from this particular text. But from 2 Samuel 9, what I want to be reminded of is that God loves me. His love is seen throughout 2 Samuel chapter 9. This is a man who is after the heart of David, or after the heart of God. David was not perfect. His record is going to have a great big blemish on it in just a couple of chapters from where we are in 2 Samuel 9. Yet Paul would use him to make a greater point in Acts chapter 13. And so there is a greater point to be made. In 2 Samuel chapter 9, I want to see that God loves me. Four times in 13 verses, David says of Mephibosheth, He will eat at my table. He will eat at my table. What he says in verse number 7 is, He will eat at my table continually. In verse number uh, 10, He will eat at my table always. And then in verse number uh, 13, the Bible says that He ate continually at the king's table. Get the point? Continually. Always. Mephibosheth, I've called you, I'm bringing you in, and I'm not going to kick you out. You have a place in my home from now on. You shall eat bread at my table. Now, how do you look at yourself? How do I look at myself? Do I look at myself the way that Mephibosheth looked at himself? I'm nothing but a servant and a dead dog. I love to hear Brother Carl pray. And I love his expression that he often will use. Thank you for loving us when we seem so unlovable. Mephibosheth viewed himself that way in front of the king. Who am I that you would show kindness to me? Who am I that you would love me in any way? 
Again, I have no value to you. There's nothing that I can bring you uh, into this relationship. There's no way, ultimately, that I can repay you for anything that you're doing and the kindness that you're expressing to me. I want to look at myself more like that when it comes to dining at the king's table. I have value only because God sees my value. God looks at me and says, I want you. I want you at my table. I've done nothing to earn it or deserve it. I, I, I try, you know, we try to be servants. We do what we can, but there's not enough work that we can do to ever deserve a seat at that table. But God says, you have value because I see it. I gave it to you. You shall eat bread at my table. I'm just reminded, brethren and friends, that there is a real sense in which you and I are lame, undesirable, unworthy. But we have a God who is rich in grace. A God who is rich in mercy. A God who is the creator of heaven and earth who says, I want to come down and have a relationship with you. I want to show you kindness for my sake, for his sake. I want to show you kindness. God demonstrated his own love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He says, I see you. I know your value. I sent my son to die for you. You can be saved by grace through faith. Jesus ultimately paid the ransom. I love the song that Thomas led us in, how, how deep the Father's love. And ultimately what that song reminds us of is the blood price was paid. The ransom was paid. His blood has paid my ransom. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1 and verse 7. Again, it's not something that we are going to merit or earn but a God who looked down and saw us in need took care of our need. And he says, I want you to dine with me. I want to conclude this morning with the familiar words of Jesus from John chapter 14. This again is the night before he dies on the cross. We often read these uh, in a funeral type setting. And again, we we find great comfort in, in times like that in these verses. But boy, we should just find great comfort in these verses All the time. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Listen. In my Father's house are many mansions or many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And where I go, you know, and the way, you know. In verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says, in my Father's house are many mansions, many dwelling places. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Where? In my Father's house, eating as it were at His Table continually. What a thought. 
Because God reached down and showed me kindness. He's provided an opportunity for me to dine at his table. It's a rich thought, my friend, that we would do well to dwell on. As we think about the motivation behind looking for opportunities to do good, as we look at the motivation behind seeking those that the world may look at as undesirable and yet our reaching out and trying to help them, ultimately to teach them the gospel, ultimately to help them come to Christ, ultimately for them to be saved. What's my motivation? Dining at the king's table. An opportunity to dine at the king's table. I want you to think about that. I hope those thoughts will help, and I hope that they will be ones that I will take to heart. As God's people, let us be seeking opportunities to do good. Let us understand that in doing this, we're not trying to to glorify ourselves, but we're trying to bring joy to God, that we're trying to glorify Him. That's why we do good, Matthew 5 and verse 16. This morning, let us be those who are looking to do good, even to those the world may look down upon. Let us never be those who would have any prejudice or racial thoughts, but let us always be seeing the value of souls and reaching out to help anything that we can. This morning, let us be motivated by dining with the King. Let us be motivated by sitting in His house, continually for eternity, sitting and praising Him for who He is and what He has done for us. This morning, if you don't have the hope of sitting at the King's table, if you're not prepared for that day of judgment, if you are not going to hear at this time, in this stage of your life, you're not prepared to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant, but you, as you sit here today, are fearful of hearing the words, depart from me, you who work iniquity, for I never knew you. You want some good news? That doesn't have to be you any longer. You can be right with God today. This morning, will you become a Christian? Will you come to the Lord? Will you obey Him and what He says you must do in order to be saved? Are you ready to, believing in Him, are you ready to repent of sin in your life, to confess your faith in Him as the Son of God? Are you ready to be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins according to the one baptism of Ephesians 4 and verse 5, the baptism for the remission of your sins that adds you to the Lord's church where the saved are found? Are you ready this morning to become a Christian? Come. Please come. And as a Christian today, if you've wandered away, you've missed opportunities, you've not been seeking them out, you've forgotten the kindness that God has shown to you through His Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior. And you need to repent this morning of such. If we need to, to pray with you, for you, if you have a need, His invitation is extended, and we would beg you to come now while together we stand and while we sing.